Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And so we're talking about the, the internet phenomenon that literally everyone should be familiar with, which is basically hashtag humblebrag, hashtag lucky girl. This whole phenomenon of posting things on the internet to make yourself look great, but not necessarily show off how much effort went into it. And this really made me, I had to have some, some introspection. Kristen, I needed to think back to figure out if I had done this. And I think I was guilty of this probably when I was younger, like <laughs> literally when Facebook first came out and we were in college because we're so old. I feel like it was much more common. And I say that as if it's like someone other than myself. But I think that now I'm so turned off when other people do it online that I, as a grown person, try to avoid bragging on the Internet. Bragging or humble bragging? Oh, well, the humble brag, you know, like showing my glamorous podcaster lifestyle on the Internet just to to make myself look better. So in what ways would you humble brag on Facebook back in ye olden days? Ye old 2004? I don't know. I can't come up with like a specific example. But um, but everybody knows that humble brag. If 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 you haven't done it, you've seen it. It's the kind of thing where, you know, people are like, oh, you know, I had to get up so early to go win that marathon race today. Hashtag blessed. I intentionally defriended an ex of mine years ago now because I didn't want to yield to the temptation to turn my Facebook into one big humble brag. Oh, yeah. To be like, look how fine I am. I'm just so great. Yeah, I have a friend who will remain unnamed who recently went through a breakup and, and Kristen, she might, she's doing a little bit of that. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of what we're talking about. Like, we, we, we know the humble brag. We know the outright bragging on social media. But it's this whole lucky girl phenomenon of posting stuff on the internet, whether it's a picture on Instagram or a status on Facebook or Twitter, um, that looks great. You know, maybe you're apple picking in North Georgia or going through wine country in California and, and it's beautiful and you've got a wonderful picture, but you don't indicate what's going on behind the scenes. Maybe you did go through a breakup. Maybe you had to take 50 pictures for one to turn out right, you know? Well, and speaking of what's going on behind the scenes, did you have to take 50 plus photos? This is very reminiscent of what was happening earlier in November with social media star Asina O'Neill, who took herself off of Instagram and all of her platforms because she fessed up that it's all fake. Shocking. Yeah, yeah. She said she was tired of the whole, you know, sponsored post rigmarole that she was tired of caring as a teenager. She's really young. I think she's just 18 now. She said, you know, she was tired of being such a young person whose entire life was dedicated to putting forth this front, this hyper stylized, hyper fashioned, hyper dieted front when really none of that was giving her any happiness. But it was 
portraying an amazing lifestyle. But then, of course, there's the whole question that we're going to get into as well of actually owning our success and being comfortable in our success and achievements and good things that happen. Because while I think it's totally responsible as an Internet person to have your humble brag radar on and do what you can to control your output of it. There's the line between that and then being completely averse to any type of self-promotion or sharing good things that happen because you don't want to seem like you're being too boastful. Yeah. Well, so the article that I saw that got my wheels turning on this was in The Atlantic in September of this year. And they were talking about this whole what they call envy baiting hashtag lucky girl phenomenon. Um, and like we said, this is basically just posting the fruits of your sometimes very extensive labor or hardship without acknowledging the hard work that went into making it, whether this is uh, getting engaged, whether this is... Uh, uh, preparing a meal, you know, like it could be anything. It could be small, large, significant or insignificant, but it's simply putting forth this image, like we said, that everything's hunky-dory when perhaps you really had to work for it. Well, and that's why when I got engaged and shared it with my Facebook friends, I first uploaded just a photographic montage of all the fights and tears <laughs> that my fiancé and I had experienced in the previous couple of years. And like it was such a long walk down the wall of China, you know. That old wall of China. (laughs) And how actually this is true, how in the car ride to the Great Wall of China, where for (laughs) podcast uh, fans who are not aware, that's where my proposal took place and it was amazing. But I didn't think it was going to happen because... In the van ride there, he was razzing me the whole time. I was like, well, he's being very unromantic today. So (laughs) surely Ah, there's no ring in his pocket. Little bait and switch. (laughs) A little bit. An affection bait and switch. And don't think that academics haven't gotten in on this because it is tied into so much gendered stuff. You know, social media is so hot right now, you guys. Uh, but they wrote that it reflects something deeper and perhaps pernicious in contemporary culture. The pressure young women feel to be effortlessly perfect. Uh, and they're citing a 2003 Duke University study that coined effortlessly perfect, although I'm sure other people have said that phrase before. They write, that you have to have it all together, but don't let them see you sweat. Doesn't this seem to tie into the broader have it all goal oh, as yeah, well? For sure. Just all part of it. Um, and Cosmopolitan magazine is having none of it either. Uh, they recently talked about this hashtag lucky girl, which is super common on Instagram in particular. And they described it as weirdly distancing in its annoying refusal to take any credit using the fictional example of a girl who graduated and landed this amazing job without noting that, uh, oh, you know, I, I had all these summer internships and had to do all this networking and emailed like 200 random people and finally got this job. But yeah. instead, all you see is hashtag lucky girl. Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, you can't, for instance, post a picture on the first day of that new job and be super excited or whatever. But it's that whole Attributing everything to luck instead of, and, and not that you would necessarily say, like, hashtag, I had to email 200 people to get this job, but it's the, it's the combination of not 
owning your own success and hard work and also um, portraying your life or the event or whatever it is in a way that's like, oh, yeah, you know me. I'm just so good at this. Hashtag blast. Hashtag blast. Well, and there is a gendered element to this social media good fortune as well. And this is one of the reasons why, of course, we wanted to talk about it on Stuff Mom Never Told You. Um, because analytics company Crimson Hexagon mm-hmm. <laughs> looked at the statistics over the past year and found that women on Twitter are the ones using Lucky 56% of the time and that shoots up to 67% when it's specifically in the first person. So I'm so lucky. And it seems to be most common in the romantic arena. So proposals, romantic dates, I don't know what else. What's what is romantic? Swiping right? <laughs> I don't know what do people post? What do people post on the internet? I don't know. Um, well, so why? Why is it gendered? Why is, does it seem to be more women? Uh, the Atlantic cites author Rachel Simmons, who wrote The Curse of the Good Girl, who says that it's about women's reluctance to take ownership of their accomplishments, which, Kristen, to me, sounds really familiar since you and I did an episode uh, about the imposter syndrome. We talked about lean in. We've talked in general just a lot about professional women who maybe don't speak up enough for themselves. And so as part of that, we've talked about how ladies are already less likely to self-promote and ask for more money, ask for a raise, negotiate for a higher salary. And uh, hand in hand with that, they are more likely to give credit to others. And so speaking of lean in, Cheryl Sandberg writes, ask a man to explain a success and he will typically credit his own innate qualities and skills. Ask a woman the same question and she'll likely attribute her success to external factors, insisting she did well because, quote, she worked really hard or got lucky or had help from others. So this sounds pretty related to what we're talking about. Absolutely. And it's not just Sandberg coming up with that. I mean, there are so many studies in both academic and workplace settings that corroborate this. And a lot of it seems to root back to this likability factor where women are often in this double bind, especially if they are ambitious of wanting to succeed, but also wanting to remain likable at the same time. And unfortunately, those two things don't always go hand in hand, thanks to gender issues in work environments. And women, especially for that reason, don't want to appear to be bragging, if not only to protect themselves from criticism, but also to protect other people's feelings. They might not want to damage a friend or partner's ego. They might want to make other feel other people feel comfortable around them. They want to stay relatable. Yeah. One of the articles we were reading about this, I can't remember if it was in Forbes, but they were interviewing a woman who was very successful, but also a very hard worker. I mean, things weren't just handed to her. She wasn't just hashtag lucky. She worked really hard and she said she felt like she couldn't publicly sort of enjoy the fruits of her labor. Uh, you know, she felt like she couldn't carry the fancy handbag out to dinner or or buy, you know, the very expensive meal off the menu. She felt like she kind of had to, I guess, do the financial equivalent of dumbing herself down. But the thing is that ended up, uh, she said, sparking sort of a cycle of, well, I don't want to brag about my success, but I at least want to talk about it with my friends. And the less I talk about it or feel I have to hide it, the worse I feel about myself. And so it creates this whole cycle of 
if you're not self-promoting, which we, that tends to have a negative connotation anyway, but if you're not self-promoting, then other people won't know how great you are. So, I mean, it is a fine line, and it's especially fine for women who statistically tend to be so much more nervous about coming off as bragging or just coming off as, you know, I'm better than you somehow. And not only is there that issue of our worries about other people's perceptions, but also our own twisted perceptions of our own success. And this really gets into imposter syndrome territory where we do I genuinely believe that we are lucky and nothing else because we feel like we don't deserve the achievements and successes that we've had. And this turns into this cycle where you kind of can never self-promote, which was something that software engineer Natasha Murashev shared in Forbes. Yeah, she wrote that if you believe that you got a big promotion because of luck rather than your hard work, uh, you're probably not going to feel right bragging about how much you deserve the promotion and how awesome you are. Instead, she writes, you're going to feel like a scam artist who got lucky and that you'd be lying if you said you deserved it. So what is up with that? What's the deal? What's the deal? Lucky girls. Oh, wait. Hold on, Caroline. Is Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld in the studio? <laughs> He's always sneaking in here under the stable. It's really uncomfortable. He, like, keeps asking us to get in his car. I wish Elaine Bennis would sneak into the studio from time to time. You and me both. She and I have similar dance moves. Oh, my gosh, me too. <laughs> we just have a podcast studio dance party. We're. I, I think we are just clearly outright bragging that our dance skills are as good as Elaine Bennis's. They are as elbow and knee heavy as yeah. all EB. Don't I know it. But seriously... What's up with all that? And I'm not talking about our dance skills. <laughs> <laughs> Although perhaps we should. Uh, yeah, writing over at Forbes in July 2013, Peggy Drexler wrote that societal expectations for female behavior traditionally and enduringly value modesty and collaboration. And so even if you think, ah, oh, well, screw everybody, we should feel confident in our abilities or in our accomplishments or whatever, you would be foolish to think that women don't internalize societal norms and expectations, especially things that have been around forever that women just need to quietly enjoy baking at home. Not that you can't. I like quietly baking at home. Baking and then taking endless photos of your perfect baking. Right, right. And just hashtag lucky the eggs are really good today. I didn't even, I barely had to stir. Mm. Mm. Um, well, and it doesn't help either that pop culture enjoys the trope of the self-deprecating heroine or the charming but downtrodden woman as as Drexler points out. So what really struck me in comparing and contrasting the whole like lucky girl humble bragging social media thing with the professional accomplishments thing is that all of those career articles that we just cited, Kristen, seem to have a lot more to do with having achieved success through hard work, through effort, but not wanting to seem like you're bragging about the success itself when really you have every reason to be pleased with yourself and to be confident about the work you've done. Whereas the social media lucky girl stuff, on the other hand, seems like to me that it's putting the success on display, but then downplaying the effort so that everyone's aware of when you're successful or when something awesome is happening without being aware that behind the scenes you could very well be struggling. 
Yeah, or that it just requires a lot of work. Yeah. A la Asina O'Neill yeah. taking a bazillion photos just to get one. Yeah. Where her collarbone looks especially perfect. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, yes, of course, she is lucky in the literal traditional sense of the word because she's getting or was getting free stuff from designers to wear on her blog. But on the other hand, what we didn't see uh, is, yeah, like Kristen said, all of the work that went into it, that she had to make her sister take 500 pictures of her in a single dress. Do we think, though, that these are the same women doing both things at various times where we might be curating almost to keep to keep up with this social media lingo that we're kind of curating how we display our effort versus success and maybe the audience where it's okay to show portray success whatever that might be whether it's success in the sense of being very beautiful or very adventurous or success um, in a more professional setting I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure in the Venn diagram of all of this stuff, this absolutely overlaps. But I do think the motivations are pretty different. I think that, um, not wanting to make your friend, maybe you're, you don't want to make your unemployed friend feel uncomfortable by talking about your incredible raise at work. Um, so you kind of hide that, even though you should be very proud of it. Whereas if you're, posting all of these vacation pictures from a tropical location and you're like, oh, you know, I just I just landed in Bali. So jet lagged. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag lucky. You know, it's like uh, the, the motivations there are different. I got a hunch. Hmm? I've got a stuff mom never told you hunch of why that is. Why posting your fo- vacation photos and food photos and beauty pics, etc., without showing the effort behind it, is more acceptable because that's more feminine gendered. Leisure time, cooking, uh, being beautiful, curating your image. Those are all things that we expect of the traditional feminine role. Whereas things like ambition, raises, Mm -hmm. leaning in in the boardroom are still transgressive in some ways to feminine gender roles. Yeah. So maybe it feels more dangerous. Absolutely. It could you don't want to you don't want to be threatening to those around you whether it's friends, partners or even, you know, fellow coworkers or whatever. Um and then I mean as far as like the the vacation pictures and hashtag #lucky like Yes, it could be that that's a traditionally feminine thing. It could also be that some of these people are jerks and they just want to find they're going to find a way to brag about what they're doing. It's just that bragging is such an unfeminine thing to do traditionally and socially. And so they've almost got to hide the brag or seem to be attempting to hide the brag behind whether it's a humble brag or whether it's just saying that you lucked out instead of you know, no, you paid for that plane ticket, you saved up for months and then you flew to Bali by yourself. You're alone in Bali. Gosh darn it. (laughs) You eat, pray, love. You cry into that cocktail. (laughs) But what really fascinates me with all of this is how especially the hashtag lucky girl is a product of this very Lady Mag promoted idea of effortlessness. I mean, how many fashion spreads have we seen in our favorite fashion magazines of ways to look effortlessly 
attractive and on trend this season. No, when I literally do the effortless thing, so I literally put no effort into what I'm doing, um, it's terrifying. And people get this concerned look on their face like, oh, God, have you just been evicted? You know, like I um, I didn't do my hair yesterday at all. Like I might have run a brush through it, but I basically woke up. Hashtag woke up like this. And my this is like frizzed hair out to here, arms super wide, you know, no makeup, dark circles under my eyes. That is my effortless. And as Elle magazine pointed out in a really kind of funny and interesting spread they did, it costs so much money to look, quote unquote, effortless, not homeless, which is what I look like yesterday. It's our whole athleisure podcast and how you have these high end designers getting into athleisure wear just so that we can look as if we might be going to the gym. Oh, I know. I gave this woman in Whole Foods the side eye today, Uh, not intentionally, but like literally just trying not to look directly at her (laughs) because I didn't want to be a creep. But she was totally in line at Whole Foods wearing the full like yoga uniform. But, and I I don't mean to be a judgy B word, but like full face of makeup, like heavy, heavy full face of makeup with lashes and everything. And I was like, I bet she's doing the athleisure thing. You're going home after this and you haven't been to the gym. Yeah. Or maybe she's going to Pure Bar. Who knows? You got to look good. Well, and speaking of makeup, (laughs) it also reminds me of the whole no makeup makeup trend. Yeah. Where the whole thing is to spend a lot of time making your face look as flawless as possible with a lot of makeup, but not looking like you have much makeup on. And P.S. I have not mastered it yet. Yeah. I'm just going with the no makeup. No, literally, there's no makeup (laughs) look. No, I have to put on enough concealer to not look like a broken out 13 year old girl. And then because I've put on so much concealer and I'm already very pale, as my mother liked to remind me all while I was growing up. I know I've told you before that my mother always used to tell me that I needed more blusher. So if I don't want to look dead, I've got to then put blush on. But then if I'm nothing but like a white sheet with two red dots on my cheeks, well, now I've got to put on mascara so that you can at least see that I have eyeballs. You kind of get that marionette look. (laughs) Excessive blusher. I mean, I do draw the lines from my lip or the corner of my mouth down to my chin, so I look like a puppet. That's just, that's natural. <laughs> well, and how in, in that L magazine spread that you were just referencing, what do they do? They added up all of the costs of these effortless, in quotes, outfits, like athleisurely outfits, all the drapey shirts and sneakers and vegan leather leggings and the cold pressed juices and all the things, mm-hmm. all the various things <laughs> and uh, rounded it up to it costing over what, like $115,000 oh, a year yeah. to look effortless. Yeah, that's if you want to do all of the stuff that they'd broken down, all the lotions and the potions and the hair creams and the face creams and and the clothes and on the watches and all that stuff. But they, I think they tallied up like just one, maybe one week's worth of outfits and stuff like that, and it still came to fifty grand. 
I mean, if you got the designer boyfriend jeans, the designer tunic, the designer caftan. Oh, for a designer caftan. That's when I'll know I've made it. Caftan. I long for it. Um, but yeah, and so they make an interesting point, though. They say it's probably no coincidence that during this moment, culturally, of unprecedented busyness, or at least perceived busyness, because I think we've talked before, right, about how we're just in this age of like, oh, I'm working so late. Everybody's bragging about working all the time, even when they're not. Uh, they say this new aspirational lifestyle is one marked by leisure and ease. Unfortunately, looking effortless is not making us less busy or any richer or less insecure, for that matter. Our era of sartorial and corporeal nonchalance rests on a myth that looking natural and being low maintenance are one and the same. But they write, for most of us who weren't born hashtag blessed, they are definitely not. And speaking of hashtag blessed, it made me oh so happy when in May 2014, uh, the New York Times published a trend piece on hashtag blessed by friend of the podcast, Jessica Bennett, who described it as, quote, invoking holiness as a way to brag about your life. And hashtag blessed is, you know, sort of the evolution of the humble brag where it's like, I'm so aware of what I'm doing. And sometimes hashtag blessed is your use in purely comedic forms. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I've done that before. Whether people have laughed at it, I don't know. Well, it's that's, on Twitter. That's how I first became familiar with hashtag, the concept of hashtag blessed. It's not literally Kristen Conger hashtagging blessed, but the idea of just like, <laughs> what? I know, just the idea of someone being like, you know, I picked my sandwich up off the floor and it was still edible, hashtag blessed. I, I wasn't, I think... I don't know if this gives away too much about the type of people I follow on social media, but I wasn't and am still not following anyone who <clears throat> legitimately says that they are blessed. Because those people are out there. I think by this point, especially considering this piece came out in 2014, which is like a bazillion years ago in Twitter years, um, if you are actually using hashtag blessed in a non-religious meaning, I think you haven't caught on to the internet (laughs) and how it speaks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so Bennett's writing about how in that period, that snapshot of time in 2014, everybody... In her Twitter feed, on her Facebook wall, everybody's hashtag blessed about something. Anything from being accepted to grad school, uh, to getting tickets to Fashion Week, to going on spa weekends. You know, and like, I get it. I get the sarcastic hashtag blessed. And I'm cool with like the religious, like actual Christian grandmother saying she's blessed for when the something. Pope tweets hashtag blessed. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool when the Pope does it. Uh, but it's that like middle ground of just, just stop, just stop. I'm oh, I'm so like look at my manicure hashtag blessed. Well, and it's so transparent. Um, and Bennett talked to noted linguist Deborah Tannen about it, who said that. What makes these examples humble brags isn't the blessed itself, but the context. Because what you're really doing is telling the world, for instance, that maybe your fiance is the best or you've been invited to do something impressive or you have just beautiful, elongated fingers. If you're saying hashtag blessed about your mani petty. <laughs> do you know I'm going to admit something embarrassing? Ooh, please do. It, it has little to do, little to nothing to do with humble brags and hashtag blessed. But so I uh, am ridiculously clumsy, especially when it comes to sharp objects. And I've cut 
several fingers on my right hand. And the other day, uh, the only Band-Aids in my direct vicinity were red Band-Aids with white high heels all over them. And so I had my hands covered in these, like, hilariously lady-rific Band-Aids. And I thought, like, this is hysterical. I'm going to take a picture and post this to Instagram. Like, this is really funny. And so I did, but I was like, oh, my fingers look fat. <laughs> you deleted it? Yeah, well, I, know, I still have the picture, oh, but I didn't amazing. post it. I didn't post it to Instagram. Listeners, I saw the Band-Aids, <laughs> and I loved them. Yeah, Kristen was like, what did you do to yourself? And where did you get those Band-Aids? I don't know. I think they were my Christmas stocking or something. They looked like they would come with, with like, <laughs> 911 Barbie. Or oh, my God. They came in one of those tins, you know, that's like, lady emergency. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I cut, I opened the tin. I was like, I've just, I need band aids. I'm covered in cuts from like cooking dinner and trying to open a box from Amazon. <laughs> Talk about hashtag blessed. <laughs> oh. But so back to linguist Deborah Tannen. Uh, she's right on the money. Humble bragging is a million percent transparent and it just makes you look like a jerk, according to science. It's not just Kristen and me. It's science. Uh, according to a study in Psychological Science in May 2015, humble braggers overestimate positive responses and underestimate negative ones to their posts thanks to an empathy gap. Sounds like a bunch of psychopaths. Uh, this is basically like not putting themselves in other shoes. So, for instance, a humble bragger might see someone else online humble bragging and be like, ugh, so tacky. I don't like that at all. But when it comes to them humble bragging about a vacation or a new car or whatever it is, they're like, people are going to be so happy for me. But I don't want to out and out brag because I don't want to be a jerk. So I'm just going to kind of like humble brag, you know, that kind of thing. So they get a vanity plate for their new car that's hashtag like LKYGRL. <laughs> they Instagram that. Oh, God, you know that exists. I'm sure it does. Because I own it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's me. On my dented hatchback. <laughs> That that is true. I'm not even joking. About the hatchback part, yeah. And the dents. <laughs> right. No, I would never leave out the dents. But speaking of a dented hatchback, is this a decent segue into the hot mess humble brag? Oh, totally. And how we see this propped up in pop culture. And Caroline, we were having stuff mom never told you, mental synchronicity somehow. Because right before you sent me this slate piece, examining this whole hot mess phenomenon that we see among our fave Hollywood starlets and the women they portray on screen, a girlfriend of mine sent me a similar piece over at Salon, basically being like, what's up with this whole self-deprecating hot mess Situation, which I feel like was really exemplified by Liz Lemon on 30 Rock originally, because here we have a super successful woman, but she's like such a hot mess in so many ways. Yeah. But we see it more uh, off screen with a lot of stars today as well. Yeah, just a lot of women who are... It's, it's, it goes back to that relatability thing that we mentioned earlier with the whole professional woman thing of, of enjoying great success and being, you know, multi-hyphenates. Maybe these celebrities are writers and actresses and producers and directors. Who knows what they are? But still, they aim for relatability by talking about, oh, I drank too much. Ah, uh, you know, I had bad sex the other night. I never exercise. 
Yeah, God, I love pizza. You know, just like, uh, see, stars, they're just like us. But uh, Eileen Giselle at Slate in August of 2015 was not having any of it. Not having any of it at all. She was talking about how bragging about being a hot mess, because that's that's essentially kind of what it is. It's another way of bragging about, like, I'm so busy and I'm so accomplished. Basically, Giselle is arguing, like, look how busy I am. Look how complicated and complex my life is uh, that I even have time to like sit here and talk to you. I haven't even brushed my hair. Oh my God, am I bragging about being a hot mess conger? <laughs> I just talked about not brushing my hair. Um, but she says that it's become this badge of honor for virtually all successful Caucasian women between 20 and 40. Um, and that was one of her big bones to pick with the hot mess trend. She's like basically saying that it's only these super privileged, successful white women who have the luxury of complaining about being a hot mess and drawing attention to their screw-ups, whether it's a fashion choice or a job choice or a life choice, where, she argues, women of color uh, feel more compelled to not brag, but just emphasize their success so that they are taken seriously. She writes, successful women of color are painfully aware that public conceptions of their race presume hot mess status. And she gives the example of Lena Dunham interviewing Kerry Washington for, I think it was Marie Claire, and how Kerry Washington was on the cover, and the headline was something like, oh, we all want to be Kerry Washington. And meanwhile, Lena Dunham herself is obviously very successful, a very hard worker, like an overworker, overachiever. You know, she's got she's definitely a multi hyphenate. And so Giselle writes that hyper successful white women can brag about being clueless messes, a la Lena Dunham, while black women, a la Kerry Washington, are turned into what she calls surrogate philosophs. So being a hot mess is a byproduct of white privilege? That's what Giselle is arguing. You should have read the comment section under it. No, actually, you shouldn't have. You should Tell have. me about it. What were the comments like? Um, well, no, the comments were all over the place, as one might expect for anything on the Internet. But a lot of people were coming to say, um, so we can't have a bad day. And just like complain about not having time to brush our hair because we've got so much work to do or something like that. And, um, you know, I don't know if Giselle does have an answer for it or did at the time, but I, I kind of came away from that article feeling the same way of like, yeah, I totally can see that how culturally it tends to be like young, hot, white actresses who like the adorable and very talented Anna Kendrick, who like loves to call herself a hot mess. And I can see how that is sort of a humble brag of like, Anna Kendrick, you're so amazing and adorable and successful. And you're sitting here like even telling your interviewer to refer to you as a hot mess in interviews. And so Giselle is saying like, this is such a a young white woman thing. But meanwhile, you've also got Tracy Ellis Ross, who's a woman of color, obviously, a successful actress, amazing person, uh, who refers to herself as a hot mess too in the media. And so I kind of came away from that article being like, I don't know. I think this is an equal opportunity descriptor, a self-descriptor anyway. But, I mean, I see her point. You know, she also points out that it's very gendered, the the hot mess humble brag. You don't see a lot of men going around being like, I'm such a hot mess. Instead, she writes, you know, men own their success. Yeah, I, I think that this is... Over analysis to some degree of what mm-hmm. hot mess really means, yeah. because 
all it really is is self-deprecating humor Mm -hmm. and self-deprecating humor is something that I've pondered myself in recent years. I got to a point later in my 20s where self-deprecation had been my shtick for laughs for a really long time and I kind of not that I'm not self-deprecating anymore, but I grew out of it being such a crutch because it did start to feel kind of inauthentic. Yeah. Partially because I was asking myself, well, why can't I just also be me when I'm not screwing up to other people? Yeah. Can I be funny in other ways as well? Um, so I, I think it's definitely worth thinking about in terms of what success and likability mean when you are a woman, because Amy Schumer is someone whose name comes up with these hot mess convos as well, because obviously she's super successful. She's white and her comedic persona is a wild hot mess. But Judd Apatow and other people and just like as you can observe as a human, um, have noted she is one of the hardest workers in show business. And her being cited as, I don't know, but like self-labeling as a hot mess and that's that's not okay. I, I don't know. With, with that, those kinds of examples, I am skeptical because it's her brand. Yeah, it is her brand. And I think it's... There and there are plenty of like I guess equivalent male comedians who could potentially be called hot messes themselves. I mean, I see what the writer was saying in terms of like, hey, if you're actually a really hard worker like an Amy Schumer, don't equate yourself with somehow being out of control just by being you. Yeah. Yeah, and and this is also making me think of how Amy Poehler is so the antithesis of the hot mess. I mean, partially because Leslie Nope obviously has a binder for everything. Right. But even in Amy Poehler's public presentation, as slapsticky as she can be sometimes, she's still very authentic in how she works and how work is meaningful to her and things that she thinks about, like her family and relationships beyond work at well as well, that might at times feel like hot messes, but it's just all part of being a busy, successful woman. And so rounding all of this back to the lucky girl phenomenon, social media, um, why women would seek to mask competence or seek to mask effort. I mean, it's all part of sort of shaping your identity online, which is something that more and more of us are doing there was this StatPro survey uh, that found that a majority of people on social media post online in a way that defines their identities. And so it's no wonder we want to look good in a way that we can control. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think in some ways, too, like hot mess can be controlling your own narrative as well, because it takes work to make a mess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and also to be comfortable enough to be up on a level where you're comfortable enough to publicly admit, like, I'm a mess. Because if you genuinely were falling apart and you felt like your life was in a shambles and that you could, you weren't accomplishing anything, like, would you be as comfortable admitting that, like, oh, I'm a hot mess? It's like, well, no, you really are. Like, please let me help you. Well, and is there a distinction between just being a mess and being a hot mess? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Culturally, I would think so. You know, but I do like how <laughs> Mindy Kaling 
like wants nothing to do with the whole hot mess thing. She has straight up said, I work like a lot, a lot. And I appreciate that as well. If someone who is very transparent about all of the effort and, you know, work that goes into building her empire like that. Yeah, she talks about how she completely over-prepares and works so hard. And we're used to hearing about women over-preparing in terms of the imposter syndrome. Like, I don't believe in myself, so I have to overwork and be over-prepared, and then I'm stressed out to death. Mindy Kaling's take on it is pretty refreshing in that she's saying, no, like, I work really hard, I over-prepare for anything, but that is so that I can go kick ass at everything that I do. I want that. That, yeah, I, I like that idea that that well, I mean, it's just it's confidence and and owning how much work you actually do. And it's such a contrast too to the type of overwork and over preparedness that we discussed in our Little Miss Perfect perfectionism podcast, because that kind of overwork is a sign that you're actually not doing things right because you're only focused on failure. You're overworking because you are convinced that you will fail otherwise. Whereas someone like Mindy is overworking because she is so focused on success. Yeah. And so it's time, everybody, to ditch this whole luck discourse of everything that you accomplish in your life, anything that happens to you, anything that you experience, chalking it up to luck. Enough with that. It's time to own your uh, work effort and your work ethic and and even the hardships that come along with it and how much even how much success you've earned. I mean, there's no shame in owning any of these things. And at least that could start to help engender a little bit of confidence in yourself when you're not telling yourself and others like, oh, I'm just lucky or like, oh, no, I didn't really do that much to get the promotion to be like the CEO of this company. So let's start the trending hashtag unlucky girl. <laughs> that's oh, exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I meant. Hashtag hardworking girl. Hashtag I'm sweating as I type this. Oh, hashtag working girl. And then, oh my God, then I could use so many Melanie Griffith gifts. Done. Perfect. Well, I have a feeling that this topic resonates with a lot of listeners because social media, y'all. It's everywhere. And we're curious to know your thoughts on it. Is it something that you've noticed that you've caught yourself doing? Something that maybe grates on your nerves? Hashtag shut up, lucky girl. <laughs> MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can email us. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Uh, Well, I have a letter here from Julie about our gendered chef episode. She says, I've especially enjoyed listening to your sociological commentary on women in stereotypically gendered professions, me being a woman who cares about other women. Read a feminist. I was so excited to finally listen to your gendered chef episode this week. Male domination of certain professions is an issue close to my heart. My younger sister is considered a leader in the STEM field. My older sister has a PhD from MIT and a career in academia. And I left my position as a corporate attorney to become a chef. A pastry chef. And she literally writes, cue sad trombone music. Uh, Julie goes on to say, well, I agree with every point you made regarding the sadly lacking level of female representation in head chef and executive chef positions. I do take issue with what I perceived as you reinforcing the gendered nature of pastry and baking. 
It's true that more women gravitate to this area of the culinary field. However, I made a very risky career move and decided to go into pastry making, not because I was intimidated by the world of chefs de cuisine, but because pastry is something that I am passionate about. I understand why you explain the fact that pastry and baking has historically been feminized, but I think you missed an opportunity to discuss the fact that this type of cooking is not less than, nor less important or rewarding than other types of cooking. I would counter that it's the act of feminizing dessert making that has robbed it of the prestige associated with the male-gendered chef de cuisine. There is no less skill, artistry, intelligence, knowledge, creativity, danger, sweat, invention, precision, calculation, or spontaneity involved in making pastries than there is in preparing meat. Instead, what I heard on your podcast was banter about how disappointing it is that most female chefs are still in pastry as if it were a lesser profession. This is all to say, while I think it's important work, discussing the serious and upsetting gender gaps in many professions, I would caution against rhetoric that demeans women in largely female professions as something less than those in largely male ones. Though it does take courage and tenacity to succeed in male-dominated fields, no argument here, it's a step backward to identify historically female-dominated fields as somehow less worthy than male ones. She says, thanks again for your podcast. Keep up the good work and the good fight. And Julie, I have to say, I totally agree with you. And I was hoping that we were sharing those tidbits about women's baking history just as a way to enlighten listeners. And I totally did not mean to indicate in any way that being a pastry chef or being involved in pastry in any way, whether it's eating it or making it, uh, is less than by virtue of being feminized. Well, I got a letter here from Rosa about our podcast on cooking shows. And she writes, while listening to your show about celebrity chefs, you mentioned that Julia Child found her passion and started her career later in her life. I enjoyed how both of you commented on the fact that there's nothing wrong with finding what you love to do later in life. Our society really is focused on becoming highly successful before you reach the ripe old age of 30. What's up with that? I'm a seasonal worker and haven't found a full-time job that I really enjoy yet, but I'm going to keep on searching and will have Julia in the back of my mind as my motivation. So thanks, Rosa, and thanks to everyone who's written in to us. Momstaff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with links to our sources so you can read more about hashtag lucky girls, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Oh, 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 oh,